Podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line today by my colleague, Mr. Luke Curdenine. Luke, how are you? Ted, good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, if I'm speaking in a hushed tone today, it's because I'm, I'm speaking to you from a media room at Yankee Stadium where there are some people in here working. Um, so I don't want to yell and get super talk radio animated. You also wouldn't want people to think that this is any kind of hostage situation where you're making a frantic call to the podcast, informing informing people that you're alive, but maybe not for much longer. Right, yeah. I mean, I do kind of want them to think that, but I'm not going to do that. That <laughs> seems inappropriate. It seems inappropriate. Um, but we get questions to answer, uh, five of them specifically, and you have several. So uh, why don't you get us started? Okay, so my first one is a pretty simple major or oh, fight of the year probably happened last weekend between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. So I guess my question is a pretty simple, straightforward one. Did you watch the Mayweather-McGregor fight? I did not. I, I, or did you? I would have. I would have if it were presented to me in some way uh, where it could have been easily accessible and cheap. Um, it seemed like bars in New York were charging like 20 bucks to get in and obviously pay-per-view was a hundred dollars and I just, because especially given all of the anal- analysis running up to it, that Mayweather was just going to dominate him and, you know, everybody was saying he, Mayweather's just going to pick him apart. I, I find Mayweather fairly, I, I, I recognize that he's extremely skilled, but I find him a fairly boring fighter to watch. Uh, and it just didn't seem like it was going to be worth the money. Yeah. So... I, I, I anticipated that you were going to say no to this question, and I, I wanted to say two things about it. The first is that it was surprisingly entertaining. I wrote I heard about that. this. I believe that. Yeah, I wrote about this on Sunday after the fight, where once you got past the sheer stupidity of it, where like, it was pretty clear that McGregor was a well-conditioned guy with a lot of heart who didn't really have much idea that he was doing, but he sort of willed himself into a pretty good fight. And Floyd Mayweather, who's usually an extremely conservative boxer, um, wasn't quite sure or kind of figured out essentially or concluded that there was no other way to fight this fight um, except by going on offense. So that's kind of what he did. And it turned into a really, uh, it turned, turned into a really entertaining fight. Um, my my slight rant that I want to go on is that it drives me in. I, I want to preface this by saying that boxing is probably my third favorite sport. I watch a lot of fights every year. Um, I wasn't particularly excited about this fight because it was kind of a farce. But you know, I've been excited for. I get excited for fights pretty often, and it drives me insane when people parachute in for maybe one fight every two, three years, and then they immediately start opining about uh, or essentially delegitimizing Floyd Mayweather's boxing greatness, putting all his personal issues aside, and he's a terrible person by every account. Undoubtedly, there. undoubtedly, but yeah. Undoubtedly, there's no discussing that. But um, in terms of his boxing prowess, he's one of the best boxers of all time. Yeah, I mean, he's never time lost, he, right? Uh, of course he is. Never lost, never even been knocked out. You know, like an in, truly incredible fighter, the best offensive fighter of all time. And 
And it drives me insane when people parachute in every time he fights and they start devaluing his greatness by saying, oh, he's not, a, he's not an entertaining fighter. You know, they, 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 they don't but stick around. For, he's not, they don't stick though, ar- right? Like, because it, no. so he can be entertaining if you're like I, – like, I would say that this is like in the, in the baseball equivalent. This is like watching uh, Joey Votto, who has an incredible plate approach but walks constantly, versus a guy who hits, you know, giant home runs. And, like, I can appreciate Votto, but I can also appreciate that to someone who doesn't watch baseball on the regular, that might be kind of boring. No, yeah, and I, 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 I agree with you there. And I also think that the distinction you're making is not a distinction that a lot of people are saying. You're saying that he is undoubtedly a great fighter, but he's also a boring boxer. That's true. Like, he's incredibly tactical. He's very defensive. Um, you know, if you're a boxing nerd, you kind of love it. But if you're not, like, he's not going to give you a Rocky-esque style fight. But I think that a lot of people, they parachute into fights like this, having not watched a lot of boxing. And then they say things like, Floyd Mayweather can never truly be a great because he doesn't ever give us entertaining fights. I mean, like, well, would you stupid. not elect that's him stupid. That's not, that's yeah, not exactly. the object, right? The object is to win the fight, and he wins the fight. So there's no debating that he's great at it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that distinction is something that's like, oh, people failing to make... That constantly drives me nuts. You know, like, and it's such easy bait for people who don't like... Ca- who don't like, oh, he can never truly be considered the best ever because he's never given fans truly, uh, you know, a true spectacle. I just think that argument, it happens every single time he fights and it, it drives me up a wall. Yeah, no, I, I don't buy that one. I'm, I'm with you there. I think that, like, I could say that just it's aesthetically for me, for a lot of reasons, he doesn't really do it. I mean, I don't, I don't like lining his pockets, and yeah, I just think I went into that, and I love the idea. I liked the idea of this fight. I know it was a farce, but I love hypotheticals, as come up on this podcast all, all the time. And so I loved the idea that like the best MMA guy would be going against the best boxing guy, even though you know realizing that McGregor going in with a huge, huge disadvantage. But uh, I, it was not enough for me. The hypothetical was not. Uh, tasty enough for me to pay $99 to watch it. Yeah, you know, if I if, if I wasn't covering it, or, you know, covering it for the Where website... Where did you watch it? And you, I wasn't were you watching it on TV? Yeah, I watched it on TV at home. Um, yeah, if, if I wasn't, like, getting paid into the hype beforehand, but um, I'm happy I did in retrospect. But yeah, I think that this is almost certainly Floyd Mayweather's final fight. Um, I think it's he's unquestionably one of the best five fighters of all time. I don't think you can give him the crown of number one ever because I think he dodged a few too many people throughout his career for him to earn that. I think you can say he's undoubtedly a top five fighter of all time and he's the best defensive fighter of all time. He's boxing's equivalent to the 1985 Bears, essentially, the Chicago Bears, just incredibly good defensively and um, and that has propelled him to great. So... Um, yeah, you know, I think that's the last time we'll see Floyd Mayweather in a ring, and it, it was, you know, all things considered, it was an entertaining way for him to go out, an uh, exciting way for him to go. And good riddance, but um, I want to move on, but I, before we do, just a quick follow-up on this. Do you think that there is 
away? Because it, it seems like boxing has been waning in popularity for so long. Obviously, in like the 50s and 60s and 70s, even it was you know the, one of the top three sports I think in this country. Um, it is extremely brutal. I mean, I think entertaining boxing matches are are so such a violent thing to watch. Um, I watch a lot of violent movies and in in take in a lot of different violent forms of media. But I think like I wonder if we're getting to a point where you know there's a limit to boxing's popularity like do you think anything could happen to bring that sport back into like the the forefront yeah you know i think um so so the thing i'll say two things about this i don't really have any moral quandaries with boxing because these are not unpaid college right, kids right being told that this is great for their character to go box. These are these are professional. Every single boxer will tell you that boxing is extremely dangerous, but they're doing it because they love it for whatever reason and because of the money. And it's very clear that they are prize fighters. Um, so to me, like people can choose to do whatever they want to do if they feel like they're getting fairly compensated for it. I don't, I, I don't really like well, yeah, loosely yeah, yeah, yeah. But that will people element. watch it? Will people watch it? And, and so. so so, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think people get so hooked up on this idea that unless a sport is a mass popularity mainstream sport, that it's either that or it's nothing. When the truth is, is that boxing's fine, like, fulfill, living in its little niche, right? Like, I mean, a lot of people tuned out to this fight, and Floyd Mayweather just pocketed three times more than Tiger Woods has on course in his entire career. Like, more, he, he just made more money in one night than every than any NFL player has made in his career so far. And the reason he does that is because boxing may not reach the same sheer size of audience that like baseball or football or something has but they but the but the army of fans they do have is so loyal that they can monetize it and leverage it um in a way that can can make the sport very sustainable so yeah i, I guess think that. i mean to, that's a great point you know i think we need to get out of this mind i mean we talked about this with golf in the past that like people get so hooked on just like these shallow like oh uh, you know you know, five people watched it instead of six people. So therefore the five, no, it doesn't necessarily matter. It matters about the loyalty of the audience to the product. And boxing does have a pretty loyal following. And that's why they can charge a hundred dollars for a fight. So it doesn't need NFL style ratings because they're monetizing it. at such an extraordinary level that they're almost pushing away casual fans. And they're just trying to cultivate these like hardcores. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to your point, I mean, events like this this one obviously don't happen terribly often, but uh, that we're still speaking about it, you know, and that, like he, like you said, that they were able to pull in so much money off of this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess it, it just doesn't matter if we're not going to be talking about boxing 12 months of the year, as long as, you know, three weeks of the year, everybody's talking about the one fight. Yeah, and of course boxing wants more people inside the tent. But really, like, even if you were to take a situation where, you know, one of the other big fights not really categorizes super fight, but another big fight comes along and 500,000 people tune in and they pay $50 for the fight. Um, you know, they're looking in that situation at $25 million divided essentially between two competitors uh, or, you know, six competitors if, if you factor in the undercards too it doesn't of course they would they would like more than they would always want more people shelling out the money than than as many as many people as they could rather but 
it doesn't necessarily mean that the sheer size of the people watching the fight is the is the only gauge to boxing sort of success and sustainability. So um, yeah, you know, I, I I never buy much into this like pure. I start tuning out when people start only thinking about things in terms of sheer scale because I think loyalty to the product has a lot to do with it. All right, some controversy in baseball this week involving uh, Hurricane and then Tropical Storm Harvey, which uh, obviously has been devastating to the Houston area and a lot of a lot of Southeast Texas and a, and a big part of that region, and uh, certainly is a, a bigger and, and more serious story than this one. But uh, a minor, you know, sports angle to it uh, was that. Uh, the Houston Astros have obviously been displaced this week and had uh, tried to work out with the Texas Rangers, who are both a divisional and a cross-state uh, regional rival, uh, a, a flip-flop of series. The, the Astros were set to host a home series against the Rangers this week uh, and, and wanted to uh, trade home series with the Rangers who have one who were scheduled to host the the Astros at the end of September. Uh, and so, you know, they, the teams couldn't come to an agreement and wound up they're playing at a neutral site in Tampa Bay, uh, which is Dome, so they're, you know, not going to get rained out for sure. Uh, but my question to you is, and, and I can give you some more context if you'd like, but uh, do, do you blame, I mean, can, can we blame the... Texas Rangers for not making that switch? Um, you know, my first gut instinct when you dropped this into our Slack was, what, what, what are they doing? Like, what are the Rangers doing? Having looked into it a little bit more, I guess I kind of understand where they're coming from. You know, I, I, I didn't quite realize that there was, a, that they were trying to make this work for longer than they were. You know, they weren't just being sort of intransigent and saying no. They were trying to cook up solutions and the Astros didn't really like any of the uh, and didn't really like any of the solutions that were being offered, so they ended up saying, no, we're not going to do this. I think in these situations, like, I would like, I get that they're in a pennant race, I would like for them to just sort of say, you know, some things are more important than sports, let's just do it, let's just fig let's figure out the logistics of it, um, and we're not going to worry about whether it's advantageous to us or not, let's just do it, because that's the sort of the morally right thing to do for the city of Houston, but, um, but yeah, I, I do. I do think there's. I, I guess I can. My, my answer is I don't agree with what they're doing, but I guess I can understand a little bit where they're coming from. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much exactly where I'm at. Like, and and look, opening a stadium at all is a, a huge logistical nightmare, you know. And doing it on short notice, and and you know, telling all every single stadium employee, guess what? Like now you've all got three three more days of work. Maybe you know we're paying out this much more overtime, etc. Every every little thing you have to do, it's a, it's a lot, right? Um, but at the same time, it's not nearly as much as uh, a lot of people in Houston are about to have to do, and and currently have having to do, you know, in terms of, of rebuilding there. So it seems like, you know, in the, in the name of humanity, you can step up and, and make that right. But, uh, you know, the Rangers are in the business of trying to win a, a wildcard spot. Like they're, they're on the fringes of contention, but, but there, there are so many teams, uh, in the American league sort of vying for that wildcard spot. And so many of them are so bad that I think the Rangers, you know, have a, a reasonable chance of winding up in the postseason and, 
don't want to force their players to play four consecutive road series uh, out of five to end the season. Uh, that's not not a good way to to reach the playoffs, obviously. And so uh, I get it, you know, I get it. But I think, uh, man, you know, I wonder what I wonder what the players on the Rangers would say if if asked, you know, about that decision. Like, would would they have all uh, been so unwilling to you know to make that concession and to give up that extra home series? I don't really know, you know, and and I can't, I obviously can't speak for any of them, but I would say uh, I'm sort of well in the gray area on this one. All right. Uh, well, we've got more questions. What, what else have you got for me? All right. So before we get to the finale, uh, the final question, rather, um, my question to you, Ted, is which sport best translates into video game form? That is a really good question. Um, I think the obvious answer, and, and I assume the reason you're bringing this up, is, is Madden football, which was like probably responsible, I would say, for like 70% of my lifetime video game playing. <laughs> um, and uh, another significant portion of that, though, was spent playing hockey video games. And I would say that uh, the ratio which I've played video hockey video games to actually watched hockey is uh, enormously high. A- and football, the football, is probably fairly even. So I'm going to go with hockey. You know, it's funny. I've actually, I, I never, ever watch hockey, but I've gotten sucked into a few different hockey video games. So well, I so do like, agree with... I think it's probably before your time, but NHL 94 on the Sega Genesis was like an iconic video game that everybody played and everybody had a team and like everybody had their own series of moves. And I happened to be just about, I'm pretty sure, the single greatest of all time at that video game. <laughs> you know, I think that there are two things that go into making a, a sport that go into translating a sport into a really good video game. Um, it has to do with, you know, is it this sort of free-flowing, free-moving sport that can... Um, is it a free-moving, free-flowing sport? And is also, how does it translate when you're playing against your friends? And mm-hmm. hockey seems to fulfill both those criteria, right? Like, it's a kind of never-ending, non-stop game. Whereas Madden, you know, it's, it's kind of frustrating. Like, you have to call every play. If you're playing at somebody else, they can see one of the three plays that you're calling. There's a bunch of things that hockey never really stops. I think that's one reason why people love playing FIFA, even though they don't really like playing soccer, because it's kind of fun when there's an element of non-stop movement to it. Um, and, and hockey, like FIFA, which I would say ice hockey and soccer are the two sports that translate best, is that it's so much fun to play against other people. Because... Um, is, is sort of constantly evolving. See, I love playing Madden against other people because of the play calling, because I like, uh, you know, considering myself like a uh, football genius and outwitting people and, and uh, showing Nate who's boss, if you'll recall. Uh, so so I like that aspect. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the, the um, for Madden is, is probably something better enjoyed alone whereas yeah hockey game uh i always like and and i wish it was more of a thing to this day like i'd love to see better updated versions but the arcade style uh video games like there was uh nba jam is the classic and then there was a a similar hockey one where it was two on two hockey with a goalie um those were always super fun for playing with people like i would love a 2018 really good modernized version of nba jam i think i would get down on that 
Yeah, I think the, two, the the sports that don't translate well, the really stop starty sports, like baseball, just doesn't quite work. Yeah, Golf baseball. Is like terrible. I love, I love baseball. Love baseball my whole life. I think outside of after uh, a few games on Nintendo, there just weren't a ton of baseball games that have ever really captured my attention. Actually, the ones that do are ones that are more like front office based. Like they're more like playing fantasy baseball than they are like actually doing the gameplay of baseball on on the video game. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I do think maybe baseball and golf are things probably better on the on a Wii and uh, I bet when like 3D video games come out, I bet they might be awesome. But um, yeah, right now they're sort of distant from the other ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, well, golf certainly, like would you, I mean, it, obviously the circumstances are, are going to be different and not everyone is going to have access to a golf course and golf clubs and all those things, but like golf is something anybody can do, right? Like it's not, there's not like a, a huge uh barrier preventing you from from playing golf uh, i don't know i guess it's i guess it's different you're not going to hit the beautiful shots that you're going to in video games and i guess you can go play basketball too uh so maybe that's a bad point but i just feel like i would i would always rather just go golfing than play a golf video game yeah exactly and like you've never they've never quite figured it out it's always a bit too easy the golf video games are always a bit too slow moving they just you know there's so many particulars that um they might be better in like 3d form but right now they just can't compare with something like ice hockey or soccer video games i kind of like hunting video games and i'm not a hunter you know and, um and i don't think i would be able to handle hunting in real life like i think i i don't think i could look down the scope at a deer and decide to kill the deer uh even though i recognize that that's something we need there are too many deer um but you know on a video game yeah sure <laughs> I'll mess that deer up well, I mean, there is, and like, you don't have to worry about the whole, like, uh, you know, morality element of it when it's a video game. Right, I mean, it's exactly. literally just code shooting other code. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I will, you know, I will mess that code up. I'll show it to who's boss for sure. Um, and I tend to tend to get a little <laughs> tend to get a little wild eyed when I'm playing shooting games. I think it, it sort of freaks out my friends a little bit. Um, I, but I wonder, I wonder what Hemel will think. Obviously, Hemel, the resident vegetarian who you constantly clash with on the Friday podcast. Um, I wonder what she'd think about. Uh, you know, <laughs> about hunting in video game form. Down on it. I bet she's down on it. Um, yeah, I, so I got another question, and this is another baseball one, and it's, it involves Yankee Stadium where I'm at right now. So uh, Aaron Judge, who was the big star of the first half of the baseball season uh, and remains, you know, a really bright and important part of the Yankees' future. Uh, the Yankees are in the postseason hunt. They're sort of sitting fairly comfortably in a wild card spot right now. Um, and they have announced that Aaron Judge is getting a few days off. He's not being benched. Uh, they're not going to stop starting him. That would be crazy. But uh, they're, they're, he's, he's not in the lineup today. He wasn't in the lineup yesterday. Uh, he's getting time. Uh, he's been slumping. He's been slumping really the whole second half. And now Joe Girardi, their manager, has said, uh, it's time for a few days off. And, and I guess my question is, and this is something that came up with a couple other reporters today, is if you're going to give a guy, and this has become, I think, increasingly common in baseball, uh, we've seen you know slumping guys get, uh, maybe it's three games, maybe it's five games, whatever it is, uh, a little break. And I think it makes a lot of sense, especially in the course of a 162-game season where uh, there's tons of travel and there's not a lot of rest, um, and it's a, it's a mental grind. You know, I think it all makes sense, but uh, Aaron Judge is here at Yankee Stadium, and, and I guess um, I wonder why, if guys are being given these days off, why the team can't just say, like, hey, man, like, go to the beach or something. 
Yeah, I mean, especially in a 162-game baseball season, right? Like, it seems incredible that um, these guys are expected to just play non-stop. Not just play non-stop, but to play well non-stop. Um, it seems like, you know, every other sport you have bye weeks, you have people having the ability to take weeks off. If Aaron Judge, I mean... It, if I saw Aaron Judge's uh, final at bat during um, during his game on Saturday, I forget who the Yankees were playing against, and you know I think I think he went over five with four strikeouts or something, and his final strikeout was just so bad. It was like a three-two pitch, and he struck at something that even I know that you should never swing at. It was just so low. Um, it just seemed. I mean, I don't know from a from a pretty uninformed perspective it seems like you know giving a guy like that just a few days to kind of reset get his get his just relax reboot a little bit all the cliches seems like not a terrible idea something to be encouraged in fact. yeah i mean I, I just don't see why and and i get like you know i feel like if he wasn't here uh then you know then there might be backlash right especially here in new york like you might get people saying like why well why couldn't he been here why does he get preferential treatment like guess what um if you if you see the way he was marketed and the, see the way he was uh out and about in the whole first half of the season, it it has to be a lot, you know. It, was, it had to be a lot going to the All Star Game as this, you know, massive dude and the savior of the Yankees and, and and all of the different, you know, I think things that were put upon him this year and and most of which he he carried really well. Like I, I just I don't know I don't have any issue with uh, giving a guy a little mental health break. Uh, I don't know that the Yankees are in the best situation to do this in the standings because I you know they do need to be in the business of winning. But I would almost say you know they've got a ten. ADL, be like, hey, you know what? Your knee hurts. Uh, go to Bermuda for five days, and then like come back, you know, work out a couple times, and we'll put you back in the lineup. Like, that that would be. I mean, that's probably why my baseball team would never win. But I would probably do that type of stuff all the time. That they they do that in soccer instantly now. Like, if you have a back injury, that's become code for uh, some kind of personal issue going on yeah, because yeah, you can never really prove stuff, man. Like, sometimes, uh, there's so much baseball. You yeah, know, you, like you, you know, if would you rather have this guy at 100% for 140 games or would you rather have him at 75% for 160? You know, and, and I just feel like um, rest is probably an undervalued aspect of, of a baseball season. All right, give me the last question of the day. Last question, simple one. Is Guinness, the beer, actually kind of gross? Yes. Guinness is gross. Totally gross. <laughs> Not even kind of gross. Just one fully gross. Why do I want that? I don't, I don't want to eat a meal. I want to drink a beer. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. You know, I, I think that I don't hate Guinness. I don't, like, particularly love it, but I do like it. Um, I think because it carries a lot of sentimental value. You know, the advertisements, my goodness, my Guinness. And it's kind of lore and golf that you go and you play golf in Scotland and you t have a Guinness by the fire and, and it's this wonderful sort of cozy feeling thing. Um, there are elements of it I do like. I like how it's a lot smoother than other beers. I like how it's less carbonated. Um, it it kind of looks cool. It's a kind of cool looking definitely beer. Definitely looks cool. Um, definitely looks cool. But I, I do think it might be one of those beers. But if you actually polled people in America um, asking them, do you like Guinness? Uh, there might be a silent majority out there who are like, I kind of actually don't like it as much as I like the idea. Yeah, I, I mean, but you know, I, I like the I like things in execution, not concept. Like you know, all, all respect to the, the brewing process for Guinness and and all those other things I've seen and read about. But it's like, 
it's just too I don't know. I don't I don't really love beer, so I'm not the right person I think to weigh in on this, but uh it reminds me of like almost like something like Jägermeister or something where it's just always there's going to be some people who are super devoted to it and then a lot of people who are just like that's kind of gross. Like that's for a uh, an acquired taste and I certainly have not acquired that taste. Yeah, it's a, it's a very bold flavor. So it's never going to have, like, mass popularity. I also don't know how anybody could possibly drink more than, like, two in one sitting because they're so right, heavy. Right, that's the um, thing. Um, yeah, that's the thing about beer for me in general is it seems like um, if you're drinking it, you know, to catch some sort of buzz or to, to loosen up a little bit, you need to drink so much of it that then my stomach starts hurting just from the volume of, of liquid that I have in me. Yeah, yeah, like Coronas, you could sort of down a bunch of Coronas. Coronas and not really yeah, it's a different story. Basically fruit juice. <laughs> but, right. but something like, you know, it's like, again, like, I, I do like the idea. I, I know some people who just love it. Like, are just they, it's their favorite beer. It's not even close. Um, they, they love everything about it. Um, I'm not quite in that camp. Are those people Irish? Yes, all of them. All right. Well, then that you know, then that's that's just like a, a good old fashioned American guy who loves Bud Light, I guess. You can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Rate us, review us. Uh, thank you for listening, and Luke, uh, thank you as always for joining. No problem, Ted. Thanks for having me. Peace out.